I don't know anything about Brad. What's what's up with Brad? Why are we putting Brad on the on the air? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today we're talking to uh, Brad Kirshner. Who's what's his deal? So Brad's awesome. Brad is the um, school director of the early school at the Friends School here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina. I don't actually know where the Friends School sits because we mm-hmm. Chapel Hill and Durham are right next door to each other, so sometimes okay. it's hard to know. Gotcha. Um, and he is a really interesting interdisciplinary thinker who has done a lot of work with integral theory, with metamodern approaches. Um, we connected because he was teaching meditation at a mm. friend's yoga studio pre-pandemic and she thought we might hit it off oh, and wow. we did and we've had a few really awesome fascinating conversations and i thought that he would be a great person for us to talk to and jam with excellent Looking bring in a heavy meta man yeah heavy meta so what's got you excited bro these days mm. well I feel like I'm holding and processing a lot. There's a lot of data flowing through, flowing through the world and flowing through my body mind recently. So I feel like I'm in a process. Um, and part of that process is figuring out how to share that process in different contexts, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sorry to start with super abstract, but there's there's so much to interpret and process with people in relationship and there's so many different kinds of relationships and there's there's so much content that is necessary to really make sense of what's going on right so i feel like anything that happens or anything that comes up in the world in a, in, in in the different relationships that i have and the different contexts that i have personal and professional and, and, you know, family, friends, it's always a slightly different conversation and we're always unpeeling, you know, a slightly different part of, of the onion. And, and I'm, I'm basically feeling like I'm trying to fine tune my sensitivity to what's appropriate in a way that's going to help move people forward, basically. Um, and, and myself too. But, but I, I guess what I'm coming up against is the challenges of that and like the mm-hmm. real difficulties of that you know as somebody who has learned a lot about for instance developmental psychology um and just history and humanity in general like how to really apply that in conversation to to connect to current events and unfolding reality in real time in a way that helps like big context land for people right and so i'm just like it's coming up in a couple of relationships that I'm having and just professionally too, it's like, how do I, how do I take in all this data and then make it palatable and helpful for people? You know, it's like we're swimming in data. We're swimming in information. I'm swimming in so much information. I've been doing a lot of reading lately. I've, 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 I've had time to really be in a period where, where I'm like engaging some really great texts and, um, I just want so badly to like share, you know, but it's hard. Like I can't, I can't read 10 books and then share them all in like a 30 minute conversation in a way that's 
stand for that person, you know, but I want to so bad. Um, so it's basically just like, that's been my struggle for the past 20 years of my life, basically in different versions. Um, but I'm, I'm just, I'm still there. I'm still, I'm just still playing that game. It was like, oh, it's still the immensity of the cosmos into a soundbite. Yeah. (laughs) It still has, still has depth learning and then try to relate to people in a way that's helpful, you know, and, and be that, be that transmission of information to reality through relationship. Um, and that's just the ongoing game. That's just the ongoing, the ongoing journey. Awesome. Um, so one of the things I'm curious about that you were speaking to in the earlier part of what you just said was this idea of moving things forward. And so that speaking of different contexts and different relationships, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different folks. So I'm curious to understand more about what that means for you and if it's, you know, you know, maybe it's contextually dependent too, but like, is there some way that you're orienting to that? Is there a frame that you're working with? Maybe a meta structure that is guiding some of this uh, perspectival dance that it sounds like you're, you're engaged in. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. There's different, there's different ways of understanding that sort of directionality or that, that sense of what, what I have in mind when I think of trying to move things forward. And some of those frameworks can seemingly contradict each other, um, which is interesting and, and, and part of the tension. So for me, one important frame is, um, as I even mentioned, developmental psychology. So actually trying to understand the human individual obviously always embedded in a social cultural context, but how do human beings grow and develop? What is the developmental trajectory and potential and possibility for each individual? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an educator. So I've thought a lot about that process, you know, from birth and childhood through to adulthood, but also continuing into adult psychological development and then into what sort of bleeds into spiritual development. What is that arc? What's that possibility and potential? What aspects of it are somewhat universal? and actually relevant for almost everyone um, and which aspects maybe are, are not. Um, so I have in mind, first of all, just for myself and each individual, this sort of notion of, you know, the intelligent, awakened, enlightened, benevolent, loving, compassionate, wonderful being, right? Like that sort of ideal human um, that, that has cross-cultural relevance and, um, and, and, you know, instantiations, you know, it, it's not just a um, historically situated cultural concept the way that I see it. I, I, I think that there is a, a, a meaningful way of understanding our sort of human commonality and what potentials we share in terms of our capacity to take the perspective of, of, of others and just grow into what we consider to be, you know, wisdom or maturity. So there's that sort of trajectory and how to help that unfold in each individual. And then there's collectively this sense of, you know, understanding the sort of directionality that we're unfolding collectively in the sense that our sort of social life world is getting more and more complex um, and more intense and it's kind of speeding up. Um, and, and, And that's not necessarily an all good situation, right? So it's, it's not a sort of growth to goodness, linear 
model of social cultural evolution? Definitely not. And yet there are ways in which there is a directionality in terms of the increase of complexity. Um, and then so it's just so, so part of it is like, you know, being being a future thinker and a futurist and really trying to understand what is that trajectory and what are the possibilities for collapse, but what are also the possibilities for some sort of phase shift, um, you know, similar to perhaps phase shifts of the past where things really fundamentally change. Um, so there's sort of collective possibility and that more and, and, and embedded in that, I think, is, you know, fairly common sort of you know, utopian general ideals of like, we all have that more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible type of vision of, you know, we want to live in an environmentally sustainable, beautiful, um, healthy ecosystem where everyone loves each other and gets along, right? So just, it's not that hard to just envision the world that we want. Um, But really keeping that alive in relationship, and actually trying to, to model that um, is challenging. But then the, the, the last thing I'll say on that is there's also a way in which, and, and what I was going to say was some frames seemingly contradict each other, is there's paradoxes involved in, in, in some of these, you know, um, thoughts and uh, imaginaries. And, you know, as human development, my understanding is that, or one way of putting it is that as human development, you know, bleeds into spiritual development and a psychological development kind of matures into uh, increase in being aware of one's own mind and the way that one constructs reality and sort of getting insight into what self and mind and reality are, there's a way in which the realization of the, the, the goodness with a capital G, that, that sort of basic human goodness and the ideal sort of world it's not necessarily in the future and you realize that there are tendencies of you know projection and um chasing right and desire that actually feed back onto some of the social and cultural and psychological problems that we have so there's also this sort of like letting go and letting things be and accepting reality as it is that actually facilitates the emergence that we want right so that's the kind of thing that depending on the context of the conversation, it can be hard to know which, which aspect of that um, sort of multidimensional, um, somewhat paradoxical reality situation is helpful to kind of focus on. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, Talk a little bit more about why, I mean, I get the, the feedback loop you're referring to, right? Of like, okay, if I'm looking into the future, then there's a way in which I can't fully inhabit the present and I can't really be in touch with my own experience or anyone else's experience. And that can potentially uh, create a lot of friction, both in terms of being able to like rest into this basic goodness and also even potentially make that change that I'm trying to grab in the future. Is that the primary paradox that you see, this kind of like uh, way that the growing up, waking up, have a little bit of a like positive negative, I mean, a positive, positive magnet pole pushing away from each other? Or are there other ones that are also strong and present in this? Mm. Yeah, I think that might be the main one. And then there might be others that um, are more particular but yeah i i think that, that there is that that sort of 
big both and, right? Like there's there's lots of different topics we could look at and then we could talk about sort of either or thinking versus both and thinking, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's there's lots of issues where both and thinking is really important and we tend towards sort of either or and like polarity thinking. And then I sort of think of it as like the like the big both and like capital B capital A is sort of the the sort of like everything's perfect, everything's okay, mm -hmm. you know, being in touch with sort of the changeless ground of being, and then like the emergent change, impermanence, you know, and, and suffering. So the like the absolute and relative reality mm -hmm. is sort of the big both and, and then you almost in a fractal way, like if you look at any particular thing that's happening there's sort of little both ends that you can take on situations. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the ones that are most relevant to people and in conversation. So it's like whatever the discussion is about, whether it's politics or, you know, culture war type stuff, um, or, or just the differences of perspectives butting up against each other, there's often some sort of both end move that you can make where you're really trying to hold both sides of whatever the tension is. And that skill is really important. Um, and there's a way in which I think on, on our individual journeys, it's sort of the more we do that and the more use we get to holding multiple perspectives on any particular tension or situation, it can facilitate an opening up to that bigger both end of mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, like actually everything's okay and things are really going to shit right now. You know, <laughs> like somehow both of those things can be true. And my heart's actually big enough to hold both of them. Um, but it's not easy to do so all the time. Yeah. Mm. So what are some of the practices that you either have worked with or that you're currently working with, both in terms of growing your own capacity for that kind of, that move, the both and move, <clears throat> both in the, the small, the, the lowercase both and, and the uppercase both and, and the corollary to that are, are there practices you're working with either within your family context or within the school or in other, you know, group contexts that maybe are different, um, at least in orientation? You know, do you work with it the same way with yourself as you're thinking of working with it in a group context is probably the simplest way to say what I'm asking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think my background in terms of what I'm bringing into what I'm trying to do now is really important and relevant. And, and I yeah. think um, just like from really age 20 to mid 30s, I took meditation really seriously. And I think that's something that even just as a species, like we need to move into really fine tuning and normalizing what the practice of meditation can do um, to one's being in the world and experience of, of self and world. Um, because it's great that meditation is becoming more and more popular. And I, I, I think it really needs to continue to do so. Um, one of my uh, uh, authors that I uh, appreciate, uh, and I've also had a chance to talk to him some, Hansi Freinacht, one of the things I like that he says in The Listening Society, which is a good, which is a good book, um, which has some of, of these sort of developmental themes of emergence in them. You know, one thing he says, which I appreciate, which is that 
he makes the analogy of like what literacy was to modernity, meditation will be to metamodernity, right? And it's like, you can't have modernity without literacy and without the printing press and without that explosion of information and the, on, the coming online of that level of cognition that is able to read and process information about the past and about science and about different, different disciplines. Um, and the shift that we're making now, you know, beyond modernity to actually solve the problems of modernity that were released partly in relationship to that explosion of science and knowledge um, and engineering and industrial destruction. Um, the emergence that we have to make now actually is sort of another huge up-leveling of capacity. Um, and just as capacity, you know, from being non-literate to literate is really unleashed. And, you know, your sense of self change, your relationship to the world changes. That same kind of phase shift is possible through the practice of meditation where you become more construct aware. So you're not just taking in um, constructs and sort of understanding them, but you're actually sort of aware of the context within which constructs are being made in your own experience. And then seeing that sort of playing out collectively in other people and, and their experience as well. Um, so basically just to give a plug for, for, for meditation and, 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 and it's great to start with, you know, just a simple app and do your 15, 20 minutes a day, but eventually, you know, for each individual, if you're really gonna get to where you need to go in your own self-actualization and your own potential, I think most of us are gonna have to get to a place where we take it even more seriously and really carve out some time in our lives, like do some retreats, find some real teachers, you know, do some deep study and actually have this be a significant part of your life and not just something that you're doing as an add-on to a stressful life so that you can try to like maintain, you know, normalcy and like not be on opioids or whatever, you know, like to actually get beyond just like management of the stress of the postmodern metamodern world, but to actually up level your capacity so that you're, you're more like your mind is actually more in the future. Um, and, and you, and you have gifts that you're then trying to bring to the present Right. Because you've already sort of you've already actualized that arc of potential yourself. So then you have something to share with others. Um, so that's the kind of thing that's needed. So I'd say for me, that's the sort of intention that I've had. Basically, so, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I came across some amazing books and I took them very seriously. I took them to heart and I lived my life accordingly, you know, and I, I, I started to learn that human beings can grow up and, and wake up. Um, so that's what I've been trying to do. And then, you know, the, the maturation process for me has been, okay, going from ideals and ideas about growing up and waking up to earnest, sincere, long-term practice and discipline to then trying to kind of let that go and just be in relationship in ways that are helpful. Right. So now the practice is really, I mean, going from learning meditation to teaching meditation. So I, I teach meditation. I actually teach a weekly group um, through Zoom now. Um, so I, I have a little group of people who join me every week and I do guided meditation. So I've learned um, and sort of just developed a style of guided meditation 
that I have found to be powerful for myself, honestly. Like it, it's, it's been a cool learning experience for me to, to become a meditation teacher and to enrich my experience of the process through teaching has been a cool, um, more recent emergence for me. So teaching meditation is, a, is an important part of what I'm doing, but then also um, just trying to, I actually don't meditate as much as I used to. I'm more focused now on just yeah, embodied relationship. And, and like I said, from the beginning, it's really, it's really about, you know, mindfulness of speech and relationship and the way that we're sharing energy and capacity with each other and, and realizing that so much is transmitted, um, all the time through all the senses and really, and like being an educator, one thing being an educator has taught me is that modeling is the most important thing, an educator and a parent, right? Like we, we have one of the problems of our educational system, just small tangent is, is um, you know, this notion of like didactic instruction and like content and the, the, like that's that mental sort of uh, modernist level of, of information um, and, you know, think of education as the process of acquiring and transmitting information to be regurgitated, you know, whereas really there's, there's this whole um, tacit hidden curriculum, you know, in the experience of being with people in a school. What is it like to be a human being? What are the relationships between adults and children? How are people supposed to talk to each other and, and respond to each other? And who decides what we're doing and why and how you know what's its relationship to money and economics and it's like there's so much we're learning all the time through our relationships and through our close interpersonal relationships um so so it's like waking up to that and then holding that interpersonal context of mutual influence which is ongoing and never ending and like being in relationship to that context consciously is both the practice and what needs to be learned and taught for, for, for humans right now, I think. Um, if I'm, I'm going to give us, a, um, open the door for a possible really big tangent. And like, if you want to jump in, that's, that's awesome. But I'm curious, cause you'd mentioned, um, what do you think, um, the ramifications are, or maybe to hold the present moment, um, you know, what do you think is happening to our youth right now, not having those physical relationships, not having that in, in class, in person, um, interactions, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you because that's, I don't learn very well over zoom or, um, uh, I'm not a didactic learner, which was hell for me in school learning herbs. Cause it was just like, here we are, here's 365 herbs and they all have four properties. You just mm -hmm. memorize them. Mm -hmm. And like, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think from a psychological standpoint, from a developmental standpoint, like what do you think is happening with our kids and like, what can we do given the constraints to, you know, maybe help them along or is this one of those moments where we're like, it's cool. Let's, let's take a step back. Let's pause. It's, it is what it is. It's happening. 
let's you know identify that it's happening, make sure the kids realize it's happening, it's a moment in time, and then digest it as you will. I don't know. What do you think? If you want to go down this tangent. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good road. Um, and specifically related to this pandemic time that we're in. Yeah. Yeah, well, so as I, as building off what I just said, you know, I'd start with just reminding ourselves that there are some things children are missing. However, their experience has changed. Something has changed. Therefore, maybe it's different than what it would have been if it wasn't in the pandemic. But they're still, they're constantly learning. Like, that's the thing. We're always learning. So the question is really, how has their experience changed and what's the impact of that? And I'd say it, it depends a lot on what the quality of the relationships that they're embedded in are, right? So if a child is at home with a family that doesn't have to be online a lot and is has a lot of presence and attention um, for each other, um, whereas maybe they were, just to sort of take an extreme example of like a counterintuitive you know, a uh, thought experiment. Like if, if a child is now home with a really loving and present family, whereas before they were in um, maybe a really big sort of really standardized school where, you know, nobody really knew them very well. And, you know, like their school, like there's not necessarily a good versus bad. Maybe it's better, you know, so that, so that's just one possibility. I'm saying that's, I'm not saying that's the case for a lot of people. I'm just saying, Nothing is all good or all bad. It really is about what is, what's the actual experience of any human being in question, right? right? So when we think about what is happening for a lot of people, though, yes, we can see, I think there's deep concern and there's deep signs for reason for concern that a lot of children now are home and their parents are really busy on screens a lot working. And they are on screens a lot working. And some of those connections that you can have through screens with other people in real time are, are meaningful. Um, and, and again, that's not, it's not to be like, it's not all good or all bad in terms of technology and screens either. But I would just say there's a really wide range of how it's affecting people. But there's definitely something lost for sure. Just to make a more general and obvious statement, yes, it's, there, there is something healthy about children being together in person. And a lot of that is really being lost um, for children. I, I, especially, I can only imagine, like, I'm not in a big city right now, but like big cities, big apartment buildings, like places where people, kids haven't been able to go to parks and like play with their friends a lot. Um, you know, my daughter's really lucky that she has a neighborhood group of friends and actually is going outside like every day in the afternoon. And like playing in the neighborhood with a group of kids, kind of like okay. they've been doing for, for a long, long time. And it just every day that she's able to do that, I just feel so grateful. It's just like, it, like that is so important. Like that's the most important thing in her life right now is to be able to be outside in a neighborhood, running around without adult supervision mm -hmm. with her friends. Like that is mm -hmm. the deepest, purest, most human learning that, that, that she's able to do right now. Right. So a lot of concern too. It's like, where do we put our concern to like right now, there's a lot of concern too on children falling behind. Maybe they're not learning enough content. Maybe they're not regurgitating enough content as they would otherwise be. Maybe their test scores will go down. Those could be somewhat legitimate concerns to the, to the extent that they signal actual meaningful 
information that children would be good to have. But definitely the focus should be on, yeah, how have their embodied relationships changed? What's the quality of life they're able to have with their family? If that quality is not high, what are the reasons, right? Does it have to, like, why are we all having to work so much? You know, how do we actually make a broader cultural shift so that people have more time to be with their children, so that children aren't, aren't relating to school as like, well, we need to, you know, we don't want to fall behind, so we need to spend just as much time as we were going to spend in school now on Zoom. Like, how could we totally reimagine that? It really is on that, that, um, that perpetual embodied relational learning that children are doing. Um, and there's definitely not enough of that kind of thinking happening in society or in the world of education, as far as I can tell. Yeah, it's not like um, I think a lot of companies now are going with uh, project-based, um, well, pr- product uh, project-driven timelines. So, like you know, you finish this project or finish this amount of work or finish whatever needs to be. Uh, done to pass on to the next person to finish the project. Um, and then so people can actually finish their work, their day's work early, theoretically, and then have the rest of the day free. I think there's a little bit more of that going on now because um, <laughs> realizing that like, oh, you know, you don't have the commute time and you don't have a lot of distractions necessarily. I mean, everybody's a little different now. Um, but you could theoretically could be a little bit more productive. So maybe you don't have to spend as much time working. Um, I want, I don't know that that's a luxury. A lot of kids have, I mean, I think as far as I understand the school structure is still a school structure. So whatever you had, if you're a Montessori, maybe you have that. If you're like a free school, maybe you have that. If you're, you know, public school, I highly doubt that, you know, you still have to sit there. (laughs) Yeah. It's still the same same model in a different context. So it's like trying to, trying to keep the same model but in a different context instead of completely reimagining what it could be with a clear set of priorities of what should be the focus you know and that's true for 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 children and adults i was actually talking to a friend of mine the other day asked him how his um fiance is doing and he was explaining how you know for her now she used to drive around to different appointments in her work and now she's doing them from home but the way that they're sort of quantifying and counting productivity means like the driving time used to count in terms of productivity, but now it's like taking that away, but you still have to have the same amount of work hour. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a lot more that she's expected to do now. So it's like replacing, you know, travel time with just more computer time in order to still meet your sort of productivity quota. Right. And you know, like that's, that's not good. Like that's ridiculous. No. And, and just not human. It's not human-centered, you know. And that, but that's the kind of thinking that animates a lot of our systems and relationships, because we're just not. Again, it's like we're not fully tuned into how we are affecting each other and experiencing each other. Like, how is her supervisor like empathizing with and understanding and relating to what her experience of that is, and how does that not matter? You know, and like similarly for schools, like how are we not totally prioritizing the embodied experience of children and making all of our decisions based on that? Well, it's not a commodity. Yeah. 
right? It has it has no ostensible value based on capitalist economics. And so, you know, it I I'm sure there are a myriad of reasons why those things are not factored in, but I think so often what we are hearing about are these quote bottom lines, right? And the bottom line is somehow quantitative information about the way that whatever this is, this time, you know, this test score, this whatever fits with some kind of metric that is about either, you know, selling something or buying something. Uh, and we're, we're at an interesting moment where like, certainly it seems like there are more people maybe than ever since the beginning of modernity that are asking the kinds of some version of the kinds of questions I think Bradley are asking, but it still seems like they're not being asked generally um, on a broad level by folks that hold up the cultural and civilizational infrastructure that we're living within. Um, and so one of the things I'm curious about in talking about this is do you have thoughts on places where we could potentially get some leverage with these kinds of questions and shifts in the way that we're operating. Yeah, it's hard to predict where the shifts will come, at least for me. There's, there's different possibilities um, and different versions of possibilities that will probably manifest concurrently, um, hopefully in some sort of coordination. And what I mean is, you know, there's this sort of uh, within the system or outside the system sort of question, right? Like, should we be focused on the political process? You know, should I be considering running for office? And like trying to, you know, like within the system, like are we almost ripe for a sort of uh, uh, just more, more intelligent sort of politics? Um, you know, can we? So there's like within the system types of answers, like work in a school, work in a hospital, work in politics, change from the inside, or you know, sort of uh, experiments in communal living. Like, do we need to create some sort of like game B? sort of like small scale experiments of communities that can do things better. Um, you know, can those two things happen kind of at the same time? And I think it's a really, it's an individual question, you know, cause it's hard to say, it's hard to really, there's, there's so much happening. There's so much happening collectively um, that it's really hard to pinpoint, you know, what's going to end up being, that sort of trigger for uh, like to create a bigger wave or to catalyze like something that will reverberate and really help other people kind of tune into a new frequency. Mm -hmm. So ultimately like not knowing exactly because it's, it's so nonlinear and it's so unpredictable. It, it's like no, nobody knows. Right. But we have all this shared intention. Like there's so many people who share an intention for some sort of catalyzation to happen to up level our game right as a as a as a country as a species um that it comes down to then turning it into an individual question you know like what am i supposed to be doing you know and then feeling into that not knowing and having that be the path that you're walking you know like we all 
have to be tuned into that question, basically. And like the only way it will actually manifest is if enough people are asking the question and earnestly trying to find out what's their role and whether it's running for office or like being a farmer, you know, or, or, or just homeschooling your children or like whatever you need to do for your context, if you're tuned into that intention and it's a shared field of intention that like many of us are feeling into, for me, I just feel like that's the kind of faith that I'm cultivating of it's like if we're leaning into that intention, we will find our way and things will catalyze and leverage points will be will be hit, you know, and levers will be pulled. But I'm trying to figure out what's what's my role, you know, like should I is is working at a school enough, you know, is that in enough alignment with really what I need to be doing? Or is there some other context where I could be helping more? Um, and, and that's a I think for many of us, it's 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 sort of a perpetual question. I mean, you're you're really lucky if you feel like you are right, you know, in alignment with your path, and like there's no question about what you're doing, and you know that you're serving your purpose in full alignment with like what the world wants you to do. I mean, I don't know many people who are that clear, but I know a lot of people whose hearts really want that alignment. Um, and are searching for it. And I think, I think that's ultimately the experience of the process of answering the question. And that's what we need to teach our children and model for our children what it's all about, right? Like, that's it, that's it. It's, it's, it's you and your path and the path of the collective and you being in the process of attunement and refining your alignment, like that is what you're here for. And that is what education is supposed to be about um, helping you to do, right? And like, that's it. And if, if that's, if we could just clarify that as a shared intention, I think we can make a lot more progress, you know? It's, yeah. 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 I think it's an interesting question, right? Because of course, unsurprisingly uh i find that super resonant but i think about how we've spent the past several years in this country and i think about you know what we're looking into for 2021 and while at the same time i stand by that earlier statement about it feels like more than in any moment since the birth of modernity, there are more people that are that that would resonate with what you're saying. Um, there's still plenty of folks that would think that that sounds like madness, you know, and would just be wanting to know back to like, can you buy it or sell it? Like, right. what what what's the bottom line here? Like, can you measure it? Like, is it a thing? Right? Like, because when we start to talk about these kinds of dynamic and processual orientations to navigating reality, right? Where there isn't certainty or perhaps not even really determinacy in the way that we've come to know it, right? That, at least in my observation, is a truly destabilizing kind of choice to align oneself with uh, in terms of a, a worldview. And I see as much um, fear and contraction around those kinds of 
dynamics of destabilization as I've ever seen at the same time to both and it that we see this like other really more expanded uh, spacious aligned radiant resonant with you know I, those are my words for things that make sense to me right um, but there's definitely this kind of yin yang expansion contraction push pull like I don't want to bring it into an either or kind of duality but there definitely is an either orness about it at least on some level that feels very up right now um <clears throat> so what you know use it if if one can use that as a point of departure what are some thoughts that you have about those dynamics yeah there's definitely both um a sort of ripeness and a lot of people are at a threshold of of growth and transformation and really wanting to breathe into a better world. And there's a lot of regression and dysfunction and chaos. Um, so both of those things are definitely true, which is a sign of a sort of um, destabilization, like mm -hmm. you said, and, and, and perhaps portending some sort of um, phase shift or, or collective transition to search for a new sort of uh, homeostasis or like a restabilization of society at a mm -hmm. different plateau or different social structure. So I think those dynamics, like both of those things definitely can be true and are true. And, you know, I'm realizing that most of my language is, is sort of individual centered. Like I'm thinking about my experience and just sharing it and I can see the potential for other individuals to also sort of be on a path, you know, through their own experiences. But then there's also the more collective social structure lens and thinking about the systems that we're embedded in and economics and mm -hmm. politics and, and technology. Yeah. And those things have a huge influence on us. Um, so, you know, what's going to be interesting, I think, to see, I mean, an individual in any context has the capacity to be post-conventional, right? Mm -hmm. like you can develop a post-conventional awareness, which means one way of looking at that is that just to say uh, more awake than average, you could say, like able to critically reflect on the dominant norms and conventions of whatever your social group happens to be. Um, but sort of by definition, that's going to be not everyone, right? Because if it was everyone, the conventions would just change. And then the post-conventional would just be whatever's beyond that. Um, so there's always going to be a spectrum of like pre-conventional, conventional, post-conventional, post whatever metric you're looking on, there's going to be a spectrum there. Um, and what's going to be interesting is to see is, is like, as big systems changes happen through technology, through sort of inevitable changes in economics, meaning the current structure, I think, of like late capitalism and neoliberal policy um, and like the financialization of everything um, and just money on money return and the accumulation of debt, like that is not going to continue. It, it's, it's, it's impossible for it to just continue as it is. It's unsustainable. Um, so there will be some sort of shift economically in terms of how are we going to figure out how to use money and monetize value in a way that just works differently. I'm, I'm not. I'm not an expert on economics, but I can just tell 
that it's, it's, it's not going to last forever the way that things are structured right now. Um, and if, even if we have another big crash, like we had not that long ago, it might be an opportunity for, for some sort of structural changes to really happen. Um, so that combined with automation and the pretenders of technology combined with as pressure really increases on the climate and that spurring sort of collective action. I think that big macro scale changes, which are out of any of our hands as individuals, like me walking my little path, you know, isn't necessarily going to have a huge impact on what those big systems changes are, but those big systems changes will reverberate and have an impact on the individual psychologies of billions mm. of people, right? Mm -hmm. I think even if there's a relatively small percentage of post-conventional humans right now, these sort of bigger macro shifts that I think are on the horizon could potentially be what catalyzes uh, the developmental process for more humans. It could also catalyze more regression. So right. like more in line with what you were saying, like big change, macro scale, I think can potentially relate to big changes, you know, individual scale. And I think, you know, it's, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be like, oh, 8 billion people just up leveling to like maturity and wisdom. I, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. Um, but it'll just keep changing, you know, but, it, but the, as individuals, we ha we can have real meaningful, relevant insights into what is possible for individuals and collectives. And it's like, we have, we have to just try to, to make these big, almost like there's a sense of inevitable change. And then there's a sense of, well, there isn't either or in terms of like, is it going to be really, really bad? Is it going to be really hard? Is there going to be a lot of regression? Is the population going to have to radically decline? Or is there, is there a really a, a different path we can take to sort of face the inevitable with intelligence and foresight um, and some sense of equity? Um, so I don't know. I, I think that's where that, you know, the, maybe there's some sort of um, um, some sort of collective um, – uh, I'm thinking of it mathematically. It's almost like I don't like nobody really knows how the numbers play out, like whether it's going to break one way or the other. Um, mm -hmm. But whatever determines it breaking one way or the other, I think has a lot to do with our sort of collective intention. Mm -hmm. well, what comes to my, I mean, so recently I had a um, run in with a family member because I didn't know that they were very, um, as conservative as I thought they were. Let's just say that. And um, I've been really stewing on uh, trying to digest what I have known about this person for the last 40 years and like mm -hmm. what I'm distilled from the conversations we've had and the kind of memes that they, you know, send out into social media and all that. And, um, uh, it, it's got me really trying to understand what um, seemingly an, uh, the opposing side to what my views are, are uh, is really has been really thinking. The divide in America right now is clearly like conservative and liberal. At least that's the way it's been painted in the media. Um, do I think it's that black and white? Absolutely not. But I I, I kind of want to push back with the idea against the idea that um, 
that the other side is not necessarily wanting change. I'm I the the thing that I'm seeing more and more is that yeah, even if you look at um some of the rhetoric of like uh you know the south forever and like um making america great again meaning that you know somewhere in the past like the 50s or who knows the 1800s or something it was really awesome and we want to go back to that i still think that there's that energy of wanting it to change at least from what it is now because now is not acceptable and i don't know that that's necessarily a bad place to be mm-hmm. um it's sort of to me it's like a similar kind of feeling that I'm feeling, which is that, no, I don't think what we're doing now is sustainable. And it seems to me that it's even, even more potential priming for something amazing. Now, Mm -hmm. the way that you go about, like a lot of the interventions you're talking about, you know, trying to expand people's consciousness or at least the capacity for uh, holding uh, concepts in their mind about what the potential for the future can be that that's a that's a very sneaky difficult thing to try and uh navigate but i think we can do it i I think i think you actually had mentioned it a little bit saying that you know if you're resonating with somebody if you're trying to find that common purpose and then and maybe even just by identifying that you allow for that space to actually communicate something. But it's hard for me to to visualize on a day-to-day basis someone that I disagree with holding space for them and then saying, you know, you know, meditation's worked for me. Why didn't, why don't you give it a shot? I have a great app to recommend for you. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, that's why I write (laughs) the first, that, yeah, there's a lot of different things I'd want to touch on there. And, but it starts from where I started the conversation was just really, it's all about, what's the context, what's the conversation, what's most helpful in that moment? Because for most people, yeah. it's not about trying to share about the books that I read. It's not about talking about meditation. It's just connecting. Like, what is that point of connection? And so we have to look at, again, like there is this polarization. So we have to look at why, right? Like a big part of the puzzle is our media ecology, right? Like our whole system of information and data um, acquisition and exposure, right? Which also I mentioned, just feeling overwhelmed by data and information, but everyone's got a different filter um, or fire hose, you know? So it's, it's like, that's a big, and that's one of those, you know, I mentioned politics, economics, technology. That's a big macro question that's going to have a huge impact on individual and collective psychology is how do we fix our media ecology right how do we fix our collective sense making and information getting and so there's there's the information that we're getting there's the way that we get it there's the why is it as distorted as it is and then there's the frames of interpretation and sense making that we have on it and then there's the relationships we have together to help make sense of things together when there's disagreement and there's so many layers there, right? Because you have you have, and so you have to see how the money and the economics and the politics feeds back on the media. And you can't solve the media and the information without solving the money and the politics, right? So you're going to have some in, interdependent constellation of intractable, wicked problems, right? So that that's why it's 
so hard and why I tend to come back to the individual because it's like mm. you, me, we can control our minds. We can read books from cover to cover and we can meditate and we can love each other, mm. right? We have to change the economics, the politics, the the financial sector, the the way social media works, like the big tech monopolies, like all this stuff feeds back on itself. And we need individuals who are reading books cover to cover and meditating to be in the systems from the inside changing them, right? Unless we have some breakaway civilizations and those civilizations collapse, right? And that's that either or of like, I think of like sort of breakaway as like the game B paradigm and the internal change is like the metamodern politics paradigm, right? So there's this way in which politically and economically and socially we could evolve dialectically through modernity into like a meta-modernity, right? So look at Hansi Freinacht if you want to look at how that could look and sound. Or then if you think like it's going to collapse, it's unsustainable, we need some breakaway experiments, we need small groups sort of tinkering around the edges, real thinking about how you can be that integral metamodern community of the future at a small scale, that's more like the game B paradigm, right? So, so, so the, and, that, and both of those things are possible and true and are going to happen concurrently. Um, but in terms of connecting to where people are at now, you know, and this, and for me too, I don't want to conflate, you know, I'm talking, when I'm talking developmentally, you know, in general terms, like conventional, post-conventional, I'm not talking about Republicans and Democrats because mm. right? there are some, you know, you can make some generalizations about developmental differences there, but I think what's more relevant and important is to see how actually similar dynamics manifest on both sides of that spectrum and both sides of that aisle. And one thing that's been meaningful for me in my own personal journey over the past 10 years is like moving out of an identity that feels resonance with um, the sort of mainstream left and starting to instead like to, to take, to be able to take that as an object instead of being embedded in it, instead of looking through that lens, actually looking at it and looking at the social dynamics and the group think and the peer pressure and the conformity that happens within the left and seeing how that is in some way structurally similar to the identity and group think and conformity on the right and see how they're polarized, right? And that's not to equate them in every way. It's not to relativize them. It's not to say that there's no substantial differences between, for instance, what the Republicans in America have done over the past 20 years is probably the most damaging, negative human organization in the history, you know, of, of our, of our country, of the world. I mean, it's, it's just beyond unconscionable what the Republican party has become, but that doesn't mean that the Democrats are like these post-conventional mature beings. Right. That's not what I'm seeing either. Right. The post-conventional individual is one who looks at the conventions of our whole partisan political system and levels up from there. Right. And sees how, all of those culture war dynamics playing out across the left and the right, all of that constitutes sort of conventional social political reality right now. And we need to actually find a third way. And there are many people who are tired of all the BS you mm -hmm. know, obviously in, our, in our political system. I mean, our, our, our political system in the United States is just, it's, it's outdated 
it needs it needs a real reboot and updating, um, not to mention a sort of cultural renaissance, um, and you know how that can come about again inside, outside, both at the same time collapse. I don't know, but 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 that's so that it's like. I think that's a move that more and more people need to make though. And so the last thing I'll say on that is my sense, part of what I'm trying to figure out is like, okay, for people who say we're Trump supporters or people who are more on, on the right, like you said, that's a really key insight. You know, they're, they're, well, just in general, empathizing with those people is so important. And it's basically the post-conventional capacity that most people on the left don't have and that we need to cultivate. Like we actually have to understand these people. They're our brothers and sisters. Like what is going on? How, how are you supporting uh, a passive want to be dictator? I mean, it's insane. Who's a TV personality who, who has no integrity and mm-hmm. who, who lies all the time. Like how, like, whoa, something's really going on with you, brother. What is going on? You must be hurting. Exactly. Tell me your story. Like they need some love or something. I don't know. (laughs) You really hurt. If you're going to get behind that something, we have some serious psychological problems going on in our country, but we don't, but we're fighting them. Right. We're fighting them. It's, and so it's like, as an educator, again, it's not, it can sound condescending or paternalistic, but, the most appropriate frame is the frame of like the parent and the child. Like you wouldn't treat your children that way. If your child's going down the wrong path and they're, they're with the wrong crowd and they're believing some stuff they shouldn't believe, you still love them and you try to understand them and it's all about helping them, right? We have to help and understand people just the way that a parent would help and understand their child, period. Everyone has to be like everybody else's child somehow, right? Or at least if you're gonna, if you're gonna be the one who's gonna throw stones, and you're going to make a judgment, then that means you're taking on that responsibility. You're the mature one. Then that means you're the parent, right? Mm. Well, act like a good parent, then, right? If you're going to be a kid who's in a fight, then then I guess you're not in the place to be that parental figure for those people who are suffering. But then own that and see that, you know what, you're not in a place where you're really helping. So if, if we're going to heal those dynamics, we have to be in a mature position of like, we are the parents and these people need need help which maybe they didn't get from their own parents in one way or, or another so there's that so the, i feel like that's so th- there's a lot going on with people sort of who are actually supporting trump right and and what i sense and what i'm trying to figure out is for the millions of people who are on the left the millions of people who supported um biden or any democratic president the millions of people who think things are going to be better now that trump's gone I feel like there's real potential there. And one of my, the edge I'm pushing up against in my life right now is like how to take that potential and help it get to that place where it can be like the mature parent who actually loves the other side. But then it's a hard, really, really, really hard move to make because there's so much trauma on both sides that people aren't ready to let go of their stories. People aren't ready to let go of all the justifications they have for why those people are wrong and they're angry at them. And we ha- so there's so, there's so much collective trauma and there's so much sort of healing that has to happen for people to be in a place where they're mature enough to take that position of the loving, of the loving parent or the loving brother and sister. Um, so that, so that's the journey. So just to, like 
all of that is embedded in the first thing I said of like every interaction, every relationship, how, how to help sort of open the heart and relax and not be defensive and not get triggered and not just, just repeat some narrative that your crew or crowd or identity construction is, is repeating. Right. And, and when you step back to that level of abstraction, you see the similarities on both sides, you know, and neither side wants to hear that, especially the left people who are more progressive don't want to hear how the, the patterns that they're manifesting are structurally similar to their enemies. But that's the post-conventional move. That's the mature move to see it. And then, and then to just, to just try to help and hold space for, for healthier interactions. But it's hard because people are pissed. So. <laughs> yeah. They are. In, in addition to being hurt, they are really angry. And, angry. and they've and they and many of those folks, I think, and rightly so, feel disregarded and condescended to right. and you know, either seen as something they're not, or not seen at all, not heard. Right. Yeah. And as we know, I mean those kinds of wounds, those kinds of feelings, those kinds of orientations within one's own psyche are strong right and you have to have a lot of willingness to make a move to see things differently to shift that on both sides right i mean like if those that are holding that image and those that feel like they're being held in that image and of course there's reciprocity right because it yeah. seems like there's lots of seeing ideas externalized but not a lot of seeing people having experiences right and i don't know how we until we can ground down into experiencing each other as human beings having experiences i don't know how we have space for healing within mm. just a, a big field of observing our own ideas as external phenomenon yeah, and no, what you that what you said is really important because a lot of what I just said could actually be totally misconstrued, and could just be more sound more condescending, you know. Right. Like, like to, to to put it in that frame that I used would be the very wrong move to make to make that frame explicit in most contexts, right? So yeah. that's why it's challenging. Like this totally. is a somewhat high level conversation where we can take that meta view and see how those dynamics can play out and what's the position of maturity. But when it comes down to it, that's not how it shows up in relationship. How it shows up in relationship is, like you said, grounded in equality. And this is really what I want to, I want so badly to learn how to convey this more effectively to progressives is like, we're almost losing sight of basic equality, you know? And like, we're, we're so hung up on identity and positionality and inequality and making things equitable by intentionally being unequal because, you know, to like make up for things. And ultimately it's not working because the way that that's experienced is as from, from some perspective unfair. Right. And we like the genius of the civil rights movement and the genius of people like Dr. King was to really stay grounded in this transcendent human equality and to be focused on 
concrete instantiations of a violation of that equality. And that's where we put our attention. Like when something is wrong, when something is unjust, when something is unfair, we bring a light to that and we fix it, right? And we demand that it be fixed because it's not fair. But we, every step of the way, have to stay aligned with fairness and equality and be grounded in the ways that we are the same and similar, right? So the metaphor of like brothers and sisters who love each other is probably a lot better than the parent-child metaphor. I think when you're on a spiritual path and you're really like, when you're really trying to open your heart to other people, that metaphor of parent-child can be appropriate because they're really, like if you have kids, you know, you don't love anyone like your kids, you know? And if you can really have that kind of love for everybody, that's powerful. But no one else should feel like they're your kid. So that that's the parent. That's right. another one of those paradoxes or contradictions, right? You don't. And even and you even learn that with your own child in some ways. It's like they have to also be their own person um, and have freedom and autonomy and agency. They'll, so they'll remind you of that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so they'll remind you of that anyway. At some yeah, point. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, words are tricky in that way, and metaphors are tricky, and everything is metaphorical in some ways yeah i think one of the things that i spend a lot of time sitting with of late is you know where where has gratitude gone in at least in our lifetimes right i can't speak to before that i mean we know certainly that there are cultures that are f- fundamentally rooted in gratitude and thanksgiving as their primary orientation um, that have existed and still exist, but it certainly does not seem to be the norm these days in many parts of the world, certainly not in this country. And in terms of the kind of dynamics that we're talking about, this like, um, I don't know that it's an incapacity, but certainly it's a dormant, capacity in many of us to really experience gratitude for this life and for the opportunity to like have clothing and shelter and clean water to drink and food to eat and any relationships at all, an opportunity to like, to think and learn and feel and, you know, have a body that works well enough that we're alive, no matter what kind of state that body might be in on a variety of levels or the things that it has experienced like that it's it strikes me if we could really start to um on a broader level reconnect to that as individuals and share that with each other and potentially orient towards you know a space of of well-wishing or of mutual flourishing Right. Not so much that like, so, so yes, it's fair and it's equitable, but it's not that your life needs to look like my life or my life needs to look like, you know, her life or their life or whoever's life, but that somehow we are working to create a context in which everybody can live their life. Right. And I think that that if, if gratitude can be brought back in, for many of us, I, th- I think that's one of the potential keys or catalysts um, to 
opening up a, a pathway for that, that sort of for me is like, it's as opposed to being meta, it's like primary, like it's underneath as opposed to transcending and holding. It's like, it's kind of at this, like in the core of, in between the warp and the weft threads of the fabric of, you know, our, our social reality. Um, so I don't know that, like, I mean, I, I'm thinking about this, I'm sitting with this, like it's, it's very alive in me. I don't know what to do with that other than continue to cultivate it in my own life and with my kid and with my, the people that I'm closest to with my friends, with my patients and conversations like this. Like I have no, uh, even understanding of maybe how that can get seeded, spread, rooted in a deeper way. But I feel like that would be like a revolution that is both about going back to a past that we've lost our connection to and about moving into a time that we haven't yet been able to live into or even maybe imagine. This for me is like, is, is a, it's a big through line through all of that, or maybe even through lines, not the right metaphor, because in some respects it's like stepping off of lines, right. Mm -hmm. That are linear, right. You know, yeah. stepping out of this kind of linear causal relationship and back into some kind of more cyclic dynamic. I mean, you know, lots yeah. of people way smarter than me talk about this much more eloquently, Benita Roy and Robin Walkimmer being two of the ones that like jump to mind, you know, who have, you know, Tyson Young Caporta being another that have really inspired me a lot to like deepen my, my thinking and my investigation into this. So short story long, I would wonder how that lands with you, Brad, and if you have thoughts kind of yeah. on that. Yeah. A few thoughts. One, I'll name them quickly so that maybe I can return to them. One is just, um, integration of, um, integration of, of, of history. One is, um, I love how what you said is in a sort of dynamic ten, a, a dynamic tension with what I said about social justice, because the, the social justice orientation can be too fixated on comparison and homogenizing outcomes, you know, and that, and there's something really that can become counterproductive and pathological about that. Um, and another thing that came to mind was just research on gratitude, like this notion of gratitude, right? So that's three things. So, so it's funny. What, there is a lot of research on the importance of gratitude, for instance, right? So you'll see exposure to things like, oh, keeping a gratitude journal or like, oh, like with my children every day, we, you know, I say like, what are you grateful for today? Um, and that's great and everything. But if you just continue to live in the hyper-stressed, hyper-anxious Hyper social media inundated world uh, that's at its root, like really materialistic and competitive, then that like 30 seconds of gratitude journal isn't gonna turn the tide. You know, like these are big, big influence. Again, this relationship between the individual and, and the social and the collective, like we're, we have these huge influential contexts, and, we, and, and it's, 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 you can't separate like our individual incapacity for just simplicity and slowness and gratitude can separate that from these larger scale forces that we're just all being swept up in the increasing complexity and acceleration of everything. And 
and the hypermaterialism of everything and the quantification of everything and the datification of everything. So it's like these are big things that are making it harder and harder. So like you said, well, I don't, I don't know what to do, but in your own life, you become aware of that. You become, you know, somewhat reflective about that. You do have to make some sort of meta move around sort of what your environment is so that you can recapture the sacredness of slowness and simplicity. And, you know, I, th I think that's a contextual thing. Like if you, if you're allowed, if you keep your environment, you know, and your life slower and simpler and more in tune with the rhythms of seasons and nature, the way that our ancestors lived, that is going to naturally flower into a capacity for things like gratitude and just the, the simple feeling of being right. So that's something that we have to help people to learn how to do, but we also have to do some work to change the overall, um, just toxicity of our environment. I know that's so hard, right? So we know gratitude's important, but it, it's hard to manifest given our sort of macroscopic reality. And so another thing you pointed to and that I just pointed to as well was there's some sort of, we're sort of teasing out this connection between something that feels intuitively healthy and sane. And there's some sort of analogy between um, sanity and health and simplicity that may have some association with how at least some people lived in, in the past. Right. And, and like, like the wisdom of, of people like Tyson Young Porter, like bringing back that sort of indigenous eldering of like ways of being in the world that have not been captured by hyper modernity. Right. So one way that I think about that, taking that into the future, what does that look like in the future? Cause we can't go back, right. We can't make, indigenous life great again you know like we can't do the sort of post postmodern hippie spiritual trump move right like we can't go back um so how do we actually integrate it how do we actually like think about okay there's this like like we all have an indigeneity right like it's human we have this basic humanness of being with a group of people who we know really well and a pace of life that's in tune with the biosphere and other life forms um, and, and non-physical, non-material world, right? We all have this capacity still within us. We need to enliven it. We need to make it conscious and integrate it. But then we also have the sort of like, if you just think about what emerged historically after that, the sort of, you know, mass civilizational rooted in agriculture of like empire and civilization and, and like large groups of people actually finding a frequency to resonate on, right? Even if it's structured through hierarchy and violence to some degree, it's still actually an up-leveling of the capacity of human beings to coordinate, right? And then from that into modernity and like the industrial revolution and technology and science and the electrification of everything, it's like, and the capacity for sort of a universal vision across um, physical boundaries, right? Like expanding across the globe and being aware of like the whole planet as like one thing. Like that's a capacity that we actually still have to find a way to bring online and integrate. Um, and then now we have this sort of postmodern like critique of that. And we have this reflective capacity to get meta on all that and deconstruct all that and tear all that apart. And it's like, that's an important capacity too. So how do we weave all that together, right? How do we become integral beings in our, in, in ourselves and collectively, right? And for me, that's just one way of thinking about you know, the future is going to be some integration of those capacities, you know, because it's like, 
they're still in us and we can't disassociate them. And one, one way of thinking about human development on the individual level is like as you go through stages of development, you can either you can sort of dissociate and repress a sort of prior like structure. So you can sort of develop like um, an allergy to it or you can develop an attachment to it or you can integrate it in a sort of healthy way and carry it forward. Right. So it's like collectively, it's like we don't want to completely deny or have an allergy to any major structure of our past. But we also don't want to become attached to any any sort of structure of our past. We want to actually find what's the healthy way to include and integrate those sort of abstract structures, those broad structures, those ways of being um, so that we can be whole. Right. So that we can actually be like holistic, integrated people who are in touch with the slowness, who are in touch with that way that we connect with people in large groups, who are in touch with like the values and complexity that emerge with modernity, but are also in touch with the like, hmm, let's like reflect and like think about what's right and wrong about this and how to fine tune it and not just take it as a given, right? So all those capacities are potentials for us. And saying all that, damn, it just reminds me, it's kind of asking a lot of people, you know? I mean, it's not, this is why it's not easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> asking a lot. And that, that's the, I don't know how to crack that nut. Like anytime, you know, no matter in, any, any, you know, intelligent, well-read, quasi-wise person who has any sort of coherent vision for how to be in the world, um, it's going to be a pretty high bar, right? So how do you get everybody over that high bar? Um, and I think what a lot of what you've said, Taran, is the key is like, you know, just letting all that go and just connecting with people like directly, just as humans, like with love and empathy and equality. Um, and then another thing we've pointed to is just our foundational social structures. Like we can't do it without the right environment. Right. Like that's the genius of people like Buckminster Fuller, who it's mm -hmm. like, don't bother fighting the system. Like you have to create a new system that's healthier, right? And people like Jordan Hall who are talking about things like Civium, you know, and like I said, the game B, the meta-modern, we're all trying to envision, okay, how do we create a social architecture that will actually support the development of the human? And we have to create positive feedback loops there. So we have to get to the point where we're designing, we're designing society so that it encourages positive feedback loops with human development itself. And then that becomes an, an, an ever self-perpetuating growth of the individual and the collective together because you can't ask you know the majority of individuals to become really mature and wise in unhealthy environments right but we can't create healthy environments without mature and wise individuals so we're stuck in this in these negative feedback loops and we need to but it's like so it's like that's the chicken and the egg but it's slowly changing right and there's a dialectical movement through the tension of that chicken and that egg of the individual and the collective. So it's like the individual and the collective engaged in this really excruciating, you know, dialectical process where it's like, well, things do keep changing and getting more complex. So at some point it begs the question, is there a threshold, right? Is there a precipice? Is there something that will allow like a, a phase shift to happen where it will start up leveling. It will reach the point where we've at least become enough people have become wise enough that they can have enough of an impact on the systems to then those systems to start reinforcing growth and maturity so that more people can become mature and wise enough to then 
support and grow and develop those systems. And I feel like what a lot of us are feeling is that. Like we're almost, it's like we can taste it, you know? Like the future, you know, uh, Andati Roy, right? Said something like that. On the, the, the future is... Unevenly is, distributed. Well, that's that one? somebody else. Well, maybe. But she, she said like on a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. It's like she's... Uh, right. Future's Sorry. almost here. She's like right there. Yeah. You know, it's like we we sense that there's this possibility. And I think that's one way of describing it. It's like this struggle of how do individuals change systems, how do systems change individuals, and yet it's like we're getting close. We're getting close because a lot of us can start to see what a healthy system would look like that would support the development of humanity itself. Well, I mean, this is an interesting question, I think, too, right? We have this sense that we know what a healthy system would look like. And so on the one hand, you know, like maybe, right? Not maybe we have a sense, but maybe we know. Maybe we don't know in that as we have talked about and as you've noted a few times, like things get more and more complex. We know about complex systems, right? That they have emergent either solutions or not solutions to the things we think of as problems, right? Which I'm, you know, that's a whole rabbit hole we could go down in terms of whether that's an appropriate framing for what's going on, right? It might be better to think of it as opportunities for these kinds of shifts in the system. But, you know, I wonder, one, we have these ideas about how things could be healthier and we're not really yet at a place where we can see whether or not those ideas will, once planted as seeds, bear fruit right, is kind of one question I have about that. The other question I have is this kind of question of scale, right, where it it seems like, um, you know, you've talked about the metamodern working within kind of systems and the game be sort of like working with nodes of smaller social systems, right? Like, I would wonder that if either of those options still needs to be at a scale that's manageable enough that we can, whoever's participating or observing it can actually like experience it and perceive it. Because when we look at the global system, you know, I think we were long ago at a level of complexity that no single mind could actually hold. Um, and I think it, you know, one of the things that I feel like you've been speaking to a lot in this conversation is all of the different dynamics, right? And even holding a small slice of all of those dynamics is like a task that necessitates an incredibly developed mind and heart, let alone if we're talking about trying to hold what's happening on a global level, mm -hmm. right? So I don't know if, if, uh, this is a super clear way of presenting the way that these two things seem linked to me. But I, I wonder about, um, you know, I wonder about our ability to see into what those emergent kinds of expressions that potentially are harmonious actually will look like because of the nature of emergence as a phenomenon. And I wonder about scale. And I feel like those things are, linked yeah. in some kind of you know yeah yeah no, I, I interesting think way you're right i mean yeah the, yeah you're it's not about knowing what it's going to look like or what's in the future because i don't think anybody i don't think anybody does i think there's basic principles that we want to align ourselves with 
um, and just be a, to be as conscious as possible as the process is unfolding and to help the process unfold as consciously as possible, not knowing really where it's going to going, but having certain design principles, but also really even just the principle itself of just understanding what I was saying about the feedback of human development and system design and human development and system design. That at the very least, a good place to start is to focus on trying to nurture the development of people, right? So this is like the notion of a listening society. It's like a listening society is one that actually, it not only does it have a sort of basic like welfare state where you take care of the basic needs of people, but it's sort of like the 2.0 version of that where you're taking care of the physical and emotional and psychological needs of people, right? And like how to actually have the intention of politics and system design be healthy humans, right? And and that this implies certain basic policies, something like a UBI, something mm-hmm. like uh, the you know you like the 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 bottom can only be so low for every human. Like you, ha- everyone has to. And thinking in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like we've got to bring the bottom up so that everyone has their basic needs met, and every human being that's born has their basic needs met and has the right to focus on self-actualization and self-development, right? And then, but that's trusting the process. That's like not knowing what those humans are going to do. But we know that if we can help humans be healthy, they're going to do good. They're going to do better, right? And a lot of the problems that we have are the um, externalizations and the collateral damage of, like we said, trauma and suffering and psychopathology, right? I mean, we have extensive psychopathology in our society we have extensive collective trauma so we we, like we have to focus on the human beings you know and so it's like we have to have better systems but you're right it's it's so complex we don't know what those systems are going to look like which is why i still think it's it's going to be both game b and metamodernism and you know political evolution and revolution and class it's going to be all of it you know it's going to be all of it but the more that we can help human beings be supported as we as we try to change things from the inside and try to change policies, those policies need to be focused on helping human beings be cared for and and grow and nurtured, right? And as we start novel experiments and small-scale designs, those need to be focused on, okay, how do the humans in these experiences actually um, raise their children? in good ways and actually have healthy lifestyles, right? Um, that are actually in healthy relationship to, to their environment. So you can't know, but I think that the, the pro but we can align ourselves with the basic principles of human development, you know, and kind of trust the process, so to speak. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's my thought there. And, 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 but man, yeah, I don't know what it's going to look like and how that interfaces with technology. I do not know. I do not know. I mean, there are definitely people with sort of transhuman visions of the future. Um, and I can't say that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, when you guys were talking about that, <clears throat> about, you know, evolving the culture, uh, my thought was, <laughs> how does, what, what's the effect on, the the economy especially like in the immediate future like next year this next year um if we are starting to level up a little bit you know if our if if a, a lot of us 
are um, expanding our mind and and seeing the benefits of simplistic lives the the economic model we have or we had even just last year is not sustainable or is it at least not um like how many hundreds of thousands of businesses have collapsed because of the simple principle of consumerism you know and yeah and most of those things maybe were not necessary it's hard to say but um uh, certainly a lot of them were built on consumerism and if we're saying that now you can live a much healthier life if you just have a simple <laughs> simple um you know simple things that you're grateful for <clears throat> i see a, i see a lot of growing pains with that and maybe that's just yeah. what happens i don't know but um yeah this sort of uh the hippie ideals collapse the economy, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. If we're all just picking flowers in the meadow, like, yeah. that's great, but like... It's a tough feedback loop to get out of, for sure. We have mm-hmm. we have built quite a monstrosity of consumerist, materialist, economics, uh, infrastructure, and it's it's all, it's a house of cars, brother, and... It's a that's a tough it's a tough one to get out of and it's it's going to be a tough one to get out of. I mean, I guess the best I could come up with right now is like right now, we have an incredible amount of wealth to distribute. Like the way the system that we currently have, we we're using things called American dollars that we say have value, and there's a lot of them. There's there's so many of these things called dollars. Um, and actually, they they can just make as many as they want, you know, yeah. and they've proven it over and over. So we act. I mean, we we could leverage that if if we could shift distribution in a way to actually create that baseline and then hyper focus our wealth on human capacity, up leveling human capacity, then potential could be unleashed and in innovation and novel solutions i think could emerge um so how to create that sort of shift is is a million dollar question and what would be the economic ramifications of that i mean you you're you're going to come up against really difficult problems like who who does the cleaning who 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 takes out the garbage you know how much how do how do the bad jobs get done if you're actually in more of an ideal of a market economy where you actually only take a job because it's to your mutual benefit you know and i mean we could i could even envision some sort of great inversion of of wealth where like instead of the best jobs getting paid the most money shouldn't it actually be the worst jobs that get paid the most money right like if i'm doing something i love i'll do it for less money right if you want me to clean your toilets you're gonna have to pay me six figures right right and and then you have a real that's a real market that's a real market. It's like every everybody's equal and you can make that choice. Hey, you want money? Great. Be a street cleaner, be a garbage man, you know? Come come clean this apartment building on the third shift. And then you get to vacation a month a week in the Bahamas because you're one of the richest people in the world. You know, whereas me, I want to be a teacher because I love children. All right, well, just keep paying me like teachers get paid now then. <laughs> the teachers don't get the, the, the short end of the stick. That's... Yeah, or, you know, you want to run a company? Great. But it's like, are you passionate about it? it we, we have to disincentivize yeah. the profit motive itself 
And if the incentivization is the work itself, how should things actually be valued in terms of what would the market say you have to pay someone to do that job? You actually have to pay someone a lot of a lot of money to try to start their own company? No, most people who want to start their own company, they have a vision, they have passion. They'll 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 eat soup out of cans for months if if they really believe in what they're doing. So it's like again, the associations that we have between work and money are like totally distorted, um, and and, and I, I mean they're distorted in ways that only benefit the people who actually benefit from having and owning capital and capital and actually profiting off of other people's labor, right? So it's like. Yeah, I mean, all that shit needs to be totally redesigned so that, first of all, you don't make money off of other people's labor, especially once we get to the point where there's not, there's a lot more non-human labor. And every one basic principle, too, that I think needs to be super clear, every human being that's born has an equal right to all the collective accumulation of wealth and knowledge that all prior humans have developed, right? So it's like we're all, speaking of gratitude, Right, like we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. Everything that we have available to us was developed by our ancestors. Right, like it's through the struggle and the toil of all of our cross-cultural ancestors of humanity that somehow got us to this place where we could have technology and harness electricity and the infrastructures of transportation and all of it, all of it. And every child born has, should have an equal right to that. Right. So like, again, this baseline of equality, like actually trans when we get if we could actually get clear about equality and see with precision how that should translate into economics, like literally you like if you have a lot of money, your child does not have more right to that money than that other person's child. Period. Like that's a radical concept. It's also obvious and simple. If you just accept that people are equal, right? So it's, but we've been so conditioned and that like we've been so conditioned to justify inequality because we're coming this legacy of hierarchy and this legacy of, of, of class. And we've got a lot of conditioning to, to unwind. So, and maybe things have to collapse and get really bad first. I don't know. It's, but like this all comes from like that, you know, that sort of um, that wheel of consumerism that you described—it's going to be a hard one to get off of because it's not just consumerism and materialism; it's hierarchy and it's inequality, and it's the justification of inequality through narratives of meritocracy that completely distort the actual relationships of people and the distribution of of, of goods and and, and money in ways that have nothing to do with meritocracy and have everything to do with legacy and the perpetuation um, of history and inequality, you know, and, and, the, and, and all the trauma um, and, and division that comes along with it. So, you know, yeah, it's a long, I think we got a long, interesting road ahead of us, a long and winding road, so to speak. Indeed. It'll be interesting to watch it all unfold. It seems to be an interesting time to be alive. And we're also at the point, you know, speaking of gratitude, I mean, we can, we need to tap into the gratitude of just be, of being alive right now. Like this is a really, and maybe everybody, everyone's 
have had the ability to feel that way. And there's never been a time in the past when you couldn't authentically feel that way. But right now, we should feel that way. This is our chance to feel that way. And it's, it's a particular moment in time with a lot of possibility and potential. Agreed. Yeah, so that strikes me as probably a pretty good place to land unless nice. of course brad you have any <laughs> closing thoughts yeah no i think that's a pretty i think that's good enough yeah and this is a great conversation i mean we really it was a good weaving from the abstract to the semi-concrete and we covered a lot of ground and such is the nature of things that it's all connected um and it's you can't unpack it all at once but uh it's fun to try to to describe as much of it as you can because it's so beautiful it's so big and and amazing and uh and overwhelming so just really happy to share in the in this experience with with you all and um yeah thank you thank you it was our pleasure yeah thank you man it was a, a total pleasure and an honor to share this time hear your thoughts and dig into some of this really rich material 